Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this leadership series where we're talking about eight qualities of great leaders. Hey, we all lead someone somewhere and we hope the quality that we talk about today will help you lead better tomorrow. Before you sign off, don't forget to check in at branchlife.church. We'd love to hear from you and stay to the end of this talk. I've got some more information before you go. I hope you enjoy today's leadership quality. So if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, our Nehemiah study is going to happen for the next few months, so we have a gift for you that we'd love for you to have, one of these Nehemiah journals. If you didn't get one, grab one uh, on your way out down at the Connection Center, and as always, we're asking everybody to check in at some point, and doing that through the QR code is extremely, extremely helpful to us. I got one more piece of equipment to grab, and then we can get started. If you have your journals, go to page 10. If you have your Bibles, we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, the story that we've been following progresses. So go right there to Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's read this together, starting in uh, verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. We're at the process in the story where Nehemiah is taking the trip from Persia back to Jerusalem because he wants to rebuild the walls. And in verse 9, it says, Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letter. Verse 10, But when, when I went to these different places and these different servants heard about this, this displeased them greatly, because somehow they had come to seek, the, they didn't want to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Excuse me, I skipped over 9. Let me start over. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the river. I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers and an army of the army and horsemen. I want to just remind you how we ended last week in the story. And if you go up to verse 8, remember last week's big thing that leaders do is they make the big ask. And Nehemiah made the big ask and he got everything that he asked for from the king. Permission to go, supplies for the wall, and he got a place to live. All like huge, right? Massive. Well, in verse 9, we see that not only did the king give him all those things, the king also gave him Officers from the army and horsemen, right? Like the cavalry has arrived. He gave him the cavalry to go with him. He gave him army people. He gave him above and beyond. And I was thinking through this this week, and I'm like, listen, wh why? Why did all that happen? Look at the end of verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of God was upon me. Nehemiah received what he asked because the good hand of God was upon him. Remember last week we said he asked big, but he also asked well. And those are important to be combined. He asked by the will of God, for the glory of God, for the power of God, for the name of God. And because he asked well and he asked big, God's favor was upon him and he granted him what he asked. But in verse 9, we learn that he granted him more than he asked for. How many of you have received surprise supply from God. Have you ever thought about it? I didn't ask for this. I didn't even know I needed it. But somehow God knew. God went before me. God went uh, uh, in front of me and, and was above me. And God came behind me and he gave me 
more than I asked for. He gave me more than I thought I even needed, more than I could even imagine. And when we are in the center of God's will, when God is pleased with us, you should never be surprised by surprise supply. God loves to give generously to his kids. Why would we put anyone else in the center? Why would we, why would we put anything else, worship anything else besides God? And so as we keep God in the center, no matter where we're leading, center of our business, center of our home, center of our team, center of our classroom, wherever we're leading, the center of my life, whenever we keep God in the center, he promises to provide everything we need to do exactly what he wants us to do. And then occasionally, he goes above and beyond. It's kind of awesome. Now, Nehemiah is getting to this point in the story where there's a significant change of location. So verse 11, so when I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Now, that's a big deal. So now, Nehemiah, our story has moved from the castle in Persia all the way now back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah has made that transition. I don't know when the last time he was there. He's been exiled for a long time. But this is a big deal. He's made the big dangerous trip. And he's arrived at Jerusalem. And he comes into Jerusalem. And he starts blaring his trumpets. And he's announcing to the world, I have arrived and we're going to rebuild the walls. Let's go, right? Isn't that what leaders do? They make a big public spectacle of themselves. And they announce they're there. And everyone should be excited to see them. And that's what, that's what great leaders do, right? They make a big splashy entrance. No, no, that is not what great leaders do, right? Nehemiah did not do that. As a matter of fact, then I arose at the night in verse 12 and a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart for Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah knew it was not yet time to lead the charge. He knew it wasn't yet time to, to blow the horn and to start running forward. There was another essential step, another essential quality that he needed to practice. So, God, so there, there, he started to ride around the wall, verse 13, I went out by night, I went out by the valley gate, down to the dragon spring, to the dung gate, that's nobody likes that gate, I was inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, they were broken down and the gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went out to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me. It, his horse couldn't even fit. Then I went by night by the valley and I inspected the wall. I turned back and entered back through the valley gate. So he either went all the way around or went halfway around and came back. And then I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews and the priests and the nobles and the officials and the rest who were there to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we no, may no longer suffer mockery. As we've been going through this series, we have been learning that all of us have God-given influence to use for kingdom impact. We all are leading someone. We all are leading ourselves. And as we look at the essential qualities, we've seen some very spiritual qualities, essential spiritual steps like pray and pray again. Today we're looking at a very practical quality that every leader can learn to embrace. And it's simply this, influential leaders look before they lead. Influential leaders look before they lead. 
It's represented by these binoculars. These are my binoculars that I use to spy on our neighbors. I mean, look at wildlife at home. That's creepy. We don't do that. Uh, we have a lake behind our house, a little a lake. We have a retention pond. And in the pond, there's turtles and birds and all kinds of stuff. We like to look at the turtles and birds. But what's the point of binoculars? The binoculars help us to see further than the normal person sees, right? The, they, we allow us to inspect things, to look at things close up, to kind of get a, a picture of what's going on even off in the distance. That's this quality. God has asked leaders to look, to look even off into the distance, to inspect before they lead. We see it in Nehemiah, right? He didn't come in blaring the trumpets. He had been there for three days. And he arose at the night, he inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and the gates that had been destroyed. I wanted to show you a little bit about the project. And we haven't done a much, much of this historical um, explanation, but look at the massiveness of this project. What was he actually looking at now that he arrived in Jerusalem? Most likely, the footprint of the walls that Nehemiah was to rebuild was this around that city of Jerusalem. It's very typical for that time and that day to have some part of the city in the walls and then some of the city that was outside of the walls. He may have been a part of building walls around the entire encampment, but most likely this was the area that he was responsible to build for. And if you start putting things in perspective, there, there's the massive temple, right? And there's all these houses and little people go into these houses and you put that little people next to this little wall. That's a massive wall, right? That's a massive amount of wall. That's a massive height of a wall. That's a massive thickness of the wall. And the little gates all over the place, right, that horses and chariots and carts go through are, are all around the city so that people can go in and out. And now Nehemiah is looking at this and looking at the project and how is he not overwhelmed? He doesn't own a bulldozer. He doesn't have a cement truck. He doesn't have a crane. He doesn't have flatbeds to carry in the big rocks. He doesn't have any of the modern stuff. He doesn't even have an army of slaves to help him build the workforce to put this thing together. He just has a broken wall and a guy that knows how to give wine to the king that's not poison. And there he is. And so what he does is he starts looking at the task in front of him. We see this over and over and over and over again in Scripture. We say today, you need to look before you lead. And, and maybe if you've read your Bible, you may have, have heard it said another way. Often we'll say you need to count the cost. Jesus himself instructs us to count the cost in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 33. Jesus says, which one of you desiring to build a tower does not first, what's the next words? Sit down. Right? Have you ever wanted to tell someone to sit down? You get real aggressive, like, sit down, right? How many leaders need to be like, sit down, right? You get, l listen, there are sometimes leaders where this quality of actually sitting down is the most appropriate thing you can do in leadership. And Jesus is saying in this moment, there are times as leaders, all of us, where we must sit down. We have to then count the cost. How much is it? How much is is it going to cost? Do I have the finances? How much time is it going to take? How much energy, power, commitment is there? What's the sacrifice going to be? How's it going to end up in the end? How, where is it going to last? We've got to count the cost. And, and which king going out to encounter another king will not first, what's the next words? Sit down and just deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, meet him who comes with him with 20,000. If you have 10,000, he's got 20,000 you got to reconsider your game plan, right? 
The Bible goes on to say he's probably sending an envoy of peace out to talk to the 20,000 people because we're outnumbered two to one. There is wisdom in counting the cost, in sitting down and evaluating and understanding and trying to get clarity simply on this picture. Where are we? Where do things stand? And where are we going? Other ways to say this same quality trait is this. Great leaders talk less and listen more. Great leaders don't rush in unprepared. And great leaders are careful about jumping to conclusions. Raise your hand if you're guilty of jumping to conclusions. Anyone? Has anyone ever jumped to conclusions? If, you, if you're not raising your hand, I'm jumping to the conclusions that you don't know that you've already jumped to conclusions, right? Like, like I've never jumped to conclusions. Let's sit down and think about that for a second, right? We are, we ha, we are naturally inclined to jump to conclusions, like we all have mind-reading abilities, right? We all think we're telepathic, but we're not. None of you are. That person hates me. Why? They just looked at me sideways. You can read their mind. That's amazing. By one look, you've interpreted that as lifelong hatred. Like, that's impressive. Or maybe did you just jump to a conclusion, right? That person's leaving, or that person's done, or that person's never coming back again, or they're out to get me. And all of a sudden, we, we are experts at jumping to conclusion. We are experts at rushing in unprepared, and we love the sound of our own voices. God knows that we need this reminder to talk less and listen more, to take some time to prepare appropriately, and to not jump to conclusions. The power of listening. Leader, if you want to become a better leader, learn to listen and learn to listen well. To be able to actually hear and be interested in and receive what someone says is a superpower. And we're not very good at this as a culture. And as a leader, often you're not just necessarily looking at a spreadsheet of numbers and trying to interpret what those numbers mean. You're not just looking at a project and trying to, to count the number of bricks that you're going to need, but you're working with people. And so the way you count the cost with people, the way you look before you lead with people is you get good at listening, at hearing and understanding, not jumping to the conclusions, but having people explain it and talk it through. So as leaders, let's just think about this quality that we're seeing demonstrated. How can we look first? How can we look before we lead? Well, if you're, if you're trying to make a business decision, for example, you might hear it said this way. You need to know your numbers, right? If you don't know your numbers in a business situation, well, then what business do you have in that business situation? How are you going to make an informed decision about what it's going to cost, about, about uh, how much profit is going to take place, about how expensive things are going to be and where the numbers are taking you? And, and I, Marcus Limonis, right, the, the prophet on TV that comes in and does, redoes businesses, he sits down, he's got this whole procedure. The first thing that he does with every business that he comes in to try to save is he says, give me your numbers. And how many of these struggling businesses came up to him and were like, I don't know my numbers. I have outdated numbers. I don't, I don't think I have everything that, and he, he will not move forward, right, until the numbers are clear and they're known. We must know our numbers. I want you to think about this as a family. How many, how many of you as a family, as a couple, know the amount of money that you're bringing in Versus the amount of money you're going to pay out in a given year. 
How many of you understand clearly your numbers? How expensive it is to eat in a month? How expensive it is to, to live in a month? And how much, how much of those expenses are going to go out versus how much of the expenses are going to come in? And because you know your numbers, when you know your numbers, you're able to adequately plan to use your dollars in the correct way. But so many of us don't know our numbers. We don't, we're just kind of winging it from week to week, and, and the money and the dollars are going different directions with no, with no strategy, with no plan, with no implementation. One of my favorite things to do in the world is to sit down with young couples in the pre-marriage counseling where we start talking about budgets and numbers. And I am not a budgets and numbers freak. Like, I'm not naturally good at that kind of stuff. However, I do know this, and so it's made me passionate about it, and I tell this to every young couple that I do pre-counseling. There are three things that are true about you right now if you're getting married. Number one, you are young. Number two, you are an American. And number three, you have access to the most wealth ever. It's just true. And if the average American walking around in the 2020s with the average salary, a normal salary, even a below average salary, is just responsible with the numbers that are coming in, you have the ability, the unprecedented ability in all of time to multiply wealth. You are, you are one of the richest and wealthiest people in all the world that has ever lived simply because you're a young American. That's it. Now, if you look at your numbers and you're responsible with them, I don't care if you're a plumber or a lawyer, you have the ability to multiply wealth. Sometimes when I go to South American countries or, or Caribbean countries on missions trips, I've been to Africa, I've been to other places, I walk around and I feel like people are looking at me like I'm a giant dollar bill. And they just start treating you differently because you're an American. And I get a little put off like this. I'm like, who do you think you are? You don't know how much money I have in my bank account. I'm not that rich. I'm not, I'm not. Compared to them, you're a bajillionaire. You are a walking dollar bill. People don't have access to these kinds of finances. Now, why, why is this a big deal? Because the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And the amount of money that goes through an average family, American family's hands in the course of a month, a year, and a decade is staggering. What if I stopped? What if I looked at it? What if I counted the cost? What if I understood and knew the numbers and was able to make the appropriate adjustments to take advantage of this unprecedented opportunity. And in that way, become one of the greatest blessings to the kingdom of God ever. To be able to, to be generous, to help people in need, to be able to, to, to contribute to the vision and the cause and the building of the church or, or, or to right wrongs in this world, to be able to be in that kind of position because why? Somehow, some way, God is calling us to that simply because we're young and we're American in the 2020s. Know your numbers. Know your numbers. Maybe you're, maybe you're getting ready to prepare for a marriage. And man, preparing for marriage is fun and it's crazy and it's exciting, and it's stressful, and it's awful, and it's, it's exhausting, right? 
And how many people get so tempted, like, let's just go to Vegas, and we'll go to that Elvis chapel, and we'll just do this thing, and then we'll all of a sudden be married, right? There's, there's a lot of reasons why that's not the wise thing to do. And when you are considering marriage, it is good and appropriate to pause and to take time to prepare together. So last week, I told you about my engagement to Jenny, right? We got engaged, and guess what? We did not get married the next week. We stretched out our engagement for another uh, almost a year or so. And we got, we got married after a, a, a several-month engagement. In that engagement, we did pre-marriage counseling, and we figured out our budget. We figured out where we were going to live and locked, talked about our future and our careers and all that kind of stuff, and, and green-lit it all the way, and then we were able to celebrate an incredible marriage. As part of a wedding last night, my nephew, Jeremy Latchaw, got married to Brooke, and Brooke is fantastic. She's an incredible asset to our family, and we're so excited for them. They did the same thing. They went through the same process and there are a lot of people that are considering marriage. And what's happening in our culture today is because of this principle, people are considering, before they get married, uh, they consider living together. And logically, I get it. Like, before we go all in, I think maybe we'll sign of like go sort of in, and we'll see if it works. And if, then if that works, maybe we'll pursue marriage. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw shade or make anyone feel bad. That makes logical sense, right? Like, like logically, rationally, there's, there's an argument to be made if you're not considering the spiritual advice that God gives. I was going on a trip the other day, and I sat in the plane next to the door that is the emergency door. And the, the stewardess came up to me and said, sir, are you willing to, in case of emergency, open the door? Will you ha take on that extra responsibility? And I went, yes, I am. I will save this plane if it needs to be done. I will open that door and the people will flee to safety under my protection, right? I was super excited about my new responsibility. So I like to sit by the door. I'm going to help people. It's kind of like my thing. It's my jam. Let's do that, right? And when we started, imagine though, if we started to get ready to go down the runway and the stewardess came to me and said, sir, I'd like you to open the door. And I said, but ma'am, we're just about to take off. And she said, no, sir, open the door and, uh, and I want it to be open during the whole trip just in case. And I say to her, that's not how planes were designed to fly. And she says, but that's how we're going to do it. I'm out, right? I don't want to go on a trip or a journey where you get sucked out the door anytime because it wasn't designed to fly that way. And that's what living together first does. It starts you on a journey with all your emergency exits open. It starts you on a path where you're like at the first bump or the first mistake or the first hard year or the first argument or the first time the finances come crashing in on you or the first time you realize he's not all he was cracked up to be, right? You're out. You're jumping out the window. You got the parachute on. You're like, see ya. And, and God's like, no, that's not how marriage is supposed to work. The doors are supposed to be closed so that you can work through the turbulence and then God's going to take you to your destination. That's how marriage works. So, so you want to start your journey with the emergency exit shut off. And they only get open in case of catastrophe, right? But God's designed us to fly that whole thing from start to finish together. And so when we, when we know and understand that that's God's design for marriage, that he doesn't want us to have those emergency exits open, we realize that, no, it's not the right step for us to take is to live together first. But it is appropriate to prepare so that we can do it 
and do it well. Maybe you've been considering following Jesus. And for some people, like for me, the decision to follow Jesus on this end of it, no-brainer. Like, do it. I highly recommend following Jesus. There's a million reasons I, I, I can't live my life without him. It's the best thing ever, and I think you should too. But I think you should also consider the cost of following Jesus. What is the cost of following Jesus? And if I would boil that answer down to one word, some people would say it's free. It costs you nothing to follow Jesus. But Jesus actually said the opposite. Jesus talked to a group of disciples, and all of these disciples were there, and he had some disciples that were in, he had some disciples that were just checking them out, and they were along for the ride. And Jesus said to all those disciples, if you're not willing to leave father and mother, home, your home and your possessions, everything that you have, if you're not willing to give up everything to follow me, then you cannot be my disciples. What is the cost of following Jesus? It's not free, it's everything. God wants everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him can be saved. The penalty has been paid. The payment has been paid. Salvation is a gift from God. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you're choosing to go all in. It costs you everything. On my side of it, I know it's totally worth it. It's worth everything and more. All that I can give, God, I want you to have it all. But when you're considering this, don't consider Jesus as a part of your life. When you decide to follow Jesus, you need to understand it's your entire life that you're giving him. You're making him your Lord and Savior. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Not my Sunday hangout. That Jesus is what? Lord. You will be saved. So we give Jesus everything. And maybe you haven't yet come to the point where you're like, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in with following Jesus. Maybe you've been religious for a long time. Maybe you've been considering Jesus for a long time. And you're hearing me tell you this morning, God loved you so much that he died for you. And he's offering you the free gift of salvation. Choose today to follow him. Maybe today is the day where you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And today I want to become a follower of Jesus. Today I want to become saved and if that's you today we want to celebrate that with you we'd love to we have prayer team members that can talk about it afterwards you can let us know that you prayed to follow jesus on your card or on your check-in and that would be amazing if today was the day of your salvation as we've learned this morning we understand this fact leaders look before they leap but as you look consider this take time to listen to god as you look take time to listen to God. As you're preparing for your marriage, listen to what God says about marriage. As you're preparing to make that business decision, take time to listen to what God says about business, what God says about life, what God says about wisdom and prudence. Take time to listen to God as you're leading a team, as you're stepping, as you're stepping into a new chapter, as you're parenting. Take time to listen to God's voice. Look before you leap. Look before you lead, and don't forget to include God's voice. We could have a whole nother message on how do you hear God's voice. But let me in 30 seconds just say this. It involves prayer. It involves reading and knowing God's word. If he says don't, don't. If he says do, do, right? It involves counselors and getting, getting good godly counsel from people around you, getting wisdom from people around you. And it involves being still and, and just hearing from and when you pray and you ask God, you give him your, your supply, the peace that passes all understanding, 
comes to you in that moment. And when you've got peace from God, man, you, you feel like you can take on the world. You see, influential leaders look before they lead. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses said, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which God is giving the people of Israel. Send one from each tribe. So Israelites were getting ready to come to Canaan, which is the land of Israel now. And they're coming ready after they've been in Egypt. They've been watering the wilderness for 40 years. Send 12 spies. What's their mission? They need to spy out the land of Canaan. They need to go up around the country and see what the land is, whether or not the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, whether the land is, is good or bad, whether the cities that they have are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees or not. We just need to look at it. We need to see it before we move forward. And so the spies were going to practice this very thing, to look before they lead. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying the land. And here's what they had to say. They brought back word to the congregation, and they showed them, we came into the land that you sent us, and it is flowing with milk and Murphy honey. There's just, there's just amazing stuff that's happening all over this place. It's a gorgeous land. And and it has fruit all over the place. However, the people who dwell in it are strong, and the cities are fortified, and it's very large. And besides that, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which I think is a great-great-grandfather of Andre the Giant, basically is what the situation was. There are big people that live there. It's great, but humanly speaking, we can't do it. It's no bueno for us. We're just ex-slaves that have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, we can't take this on. They looked, but they didn't listen for the voice of God. But Joshua and Caleb, I'm a fan of Joshua in the Bible, Joshua and Caleb were among those who spied out the land. They tore their clothes and said to the congregation, the land that we passed and spied out is exceedingly good. And if the Lord delights in us, if the Lord is involved, if the Lord gives us strength, if the Lord gives us power and direction, he will bring us to the land and give it to us, this land that flows with milk and honey. Then the congregation said, okay, Joshua and Caleb, <laughs> that's not what happened. The congregation stoned them with stone. They threw rocks at them. They're like, are you guys crazy? There are giants in there. And the, the people were convinced they're not going to follow those leaders even though they listen to God. But the glory of the Lord appeared. The glory of the Lord appeared in the tent, in the tent of meeting and to all the people of Israel. And then they followed. They saw God in it. And you couldn't stop them. You see, great leaders look before they lead. We always include the voice of God in that moment. And leaders, great leaders, have clarity on how things are. And they have vision for how things could be. Great leaders understand how things are. And maybe in your family it's a mess right now. Maybe, it, maybe it's just not going exactly right. Maybe in your business it's just, there's just turmoil. Maybe that team you're trying to lead, it's just there's conflict going all over the place. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're your worship service at 9.30 is busting at the seams and you got to figure out how to fit people, right? So you don't awkwardly have to be on the front row. Sorry about that today. But you also have a vision about where things could be. And with God, all things are possible. 
And, and, and I encourage people to, to think about leading in, in three ways. Number one, have a plan for your next year. Have a plan. Know where you're going. Know what your budget is. Hold that plan loosely, but hold it. Be preparing for the next two to five years. Be thinking about where you're going and, and what you need to get there, and then that informs your plan. And then you, you're, you're serving, you're, you're holding up that preparation, but be dreaming about the next 10 to 20 to 30 years. If God could do anything, this is what I'd love for him to do. This is how I'd want him to use me, my business, my family for the kingdom of God. And I've got a dream. I'm not holding on to that dream. My hands are wide open to whatever God has. But because of that dream, I'm preparing for what God might do in the next season. And I'm planning for this, my next steps. Leaders, look before you lead. Nehemiah, seeing the project that was before him, said, come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer, and the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, through your great and mighty hand, would you call us, your servants, to arise and build? Lord, would you do great things for the kingdom of God through Branch Life Church? Help us to arise and build. God, would you use our businesses for your great glory? God, that we could be a blessing to the community and the world around us. Help us to arise and build. God, would you use our families to promote your great name of Jesus? Lord, would you bring peace? Would you bring healing? Would you bring uh, uh, strengthening of relationships in our marriages and in our parenting? Help us to arise and build for the great name of Jesus. Lord, we see what, what, how things are, but we're dreaming about how they could be. Help us, God, to arise and build. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. I hope the quality we talked about today will help you be a better leader tomorrow. And before you log off, we'd love to connect with you. The best way to do that is to go to branchlife.church and check in. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to follow us online. Wherever you are connected, we'd love to connect with you. We hope to see you next time as we dive deeper into leadership. Have a great rest of your day.